Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, our scripture reading will be 1 through 16 of this chapter. Genesis 4, 1 through 16. And following the reading of scripture, we will sing together uh, the Gloria Patri. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. We continue to reflect on how we may show gratitude to God for the deliverance from our sin and misery and coming to the sixth commandment today. Remember, the first commandment is the law of loyalty. The second commandment is the law of worship. The third commandment is the law of reverence. The fourth commandment is the law of rest. The fifth commandment is the law of authority. And this is the law of life. And I took you to Genesis chapter 4 because that's the first occurrence of murder in the scriptures. And it teaches us some important things that we're going to gather from other scriptures and from reflecting on the, the commandment, the sixth commandment, as we go along. It explains not only the actual act of the murder, but it explains the uh, emotions and the attitudes and the thoughts that stand behind murder. Uh, 
Cain and Abel brought their offering and God had regard for Abel's offering, but he did not have regard for Cain's offering. And Cain became very angry and he became vengeful toward his brother. And so he walked with him out in the field, probably lured him out. And while they were there in the field, he killed him. And the text shows us not only Abel, uh, Cain's hatred toward Abel, but his hatred toward God. Because God comes to Cain and says, where is your brother? And Abel's response is, well, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, the implied uh, uh, criticism of God the Father, his hatred toward God comes out in that he's accusing God of missing one of his people. Am I my brother's keeper? Aren't you the keeper of the people of God? Have you lost one of your people? What Cain is demonstrating is his own hatred toward God. His hatred toward God, his hatred toward his brother stand behind the actual act of the murder. So I want us to go through a few scriptures before we come back to thinking about the commandment itself and reflecting on some of these truths. Turn to Genesis 9. Uh, verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> Genesis 9. <clears throat> and this is following the flood. And God had preserved Noah and his family. And he's uh, giving some instructions and institu- instituting some things. <clears throat> and in, in jo- Genesis 9 verse 5. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Here's the first clear prohibition against murder in, in clarifying it. Um, the the life of man when it's taken is going to the, the whoever takes it's going to be held accountable even a beast in the Old Testament law when an ox was known to kill people or be a dangerous animal and it's would gore someone with its horns the animal would have to give an account it would be slaughtered when a man killed another man he was held accountable for it. You have in this passage the principle of capital punishment. Uh, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Now that's not just indiscriminate, but God puts into the hands of the civil magistrate the responsibility to oppose murder by putting to death the murderer. Uh, The reason is given to us, or a reason is given to us here, because uh, man, God made man in his own image. One of the things that makes murder such a heinous crime is it's a, a, a killing of the image of God. It's an attack against God's creative order, his special creation. And so murder is forbidden, and it's a heinous crime because <clears throat> you're killing Someone that's in the image of God. 
Turn then to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. We'll begin, we'll begin at the beginning of the chapter. The law was given in Exodus chapter 20, near the beginning of the wilderness wanderings. It's going to be repeated in Deuteronomy 5. <clears throat> That's toward the end of the wilderness wanderings. But here along the way, God gives an exposition and an application of the Ten Commandments. And there's some significant things here. In Leviticus 19, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then it goes on talking about some of the other commandments, the fifth commandment, uh, the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, the uh, second commandment. And there's these that are spoken of, but I want to pick it up at verse nine. In verse nine, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall not, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So you see God applying other commandments as well, not stealing the eighth commandment, not swearing by God's name falsely, the third commandment, uh, not bearing false witness in a court of law, the ninth commandment. So he's, he's applying the other commandments, but the sixth commandment is prominent in the section that I read. In verse nine, it tells us that you are not to to harvest your fields to all to the very edges. You're not to take all the grapes off the vines, but you're to leave those for the poor and the sojourner. That's the positive application of the sixth commandment. Why are they being commanded to do this? So that they could provide for those in need. The sixth commandment forbids the taking of life, but it also uh, commands the promoting and and working into that which tends to promote life. And so allowing that grain and those grapes to be there was to promote the life of those in need. That's the sixth commandment. 
Uh, it was uh, not oppressing your neighbor or robbing him. And the wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Why was that so important? Because in that day, they were day laborers. They were paid each day and they needed the money every day so they could buy bread for their family and provide for their needs. And so if an employer withheld their salary, it was a violation of the sixth commandment. It was promoting harm in their life. They needed to pay them promptly to, to promote life, to promote their care. So it, it, you wonder, why did God command that? Well, that's why he commanded it. It's obedience to the sixth commandment. We get down toward the last couple of verses that we read, not hating your brother, not taking vengeance against him or bearing a grudge. It's the attitudes and the thoughts that lie behind murder. When we hate our brother, when we uh, bear a grudge against him, it's the thought and the mentality that lies behind taking their life, devaluing their life. But in contrast, what are we to do? We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to do that which promotes life in them. Do that which promotes the care for them. And then one other passage, turn in the New Testament to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is explaining and applying the Ten Commandments, the law of God, to our lives. <coughs> and he takes up specifically the Sixth Commandment in Matthew five twenty one. So Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say unto you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus here, as in the other passages, is teaching us the root cause behind murder. Murder, obviously and clearly wrong. And you'll be held accountable for that. But you're not to hate your brother. Uh, That hatred is mental and spiritual murder. You're not to insult them. You're not to call them a fool. And that's a very pejorative pronouncement. Because what you're doing is you're promoting the devaluing of their life and setting up whether you commit actual murder or not. You're violating the sixth sixth commandment. So let's think about that sixth commandment for a moment. Specifically, what is the sixth commandment? You shall not murder. Very simple, short. Uh, We're told that there are five Hebrew words for the taking of a human life, a couple of them in the context of war or capital punishment. The specific word in Exodus 20 for 13 has reference to the taking of an innocent life with criminal, criminal intent or criminal negligence. 
And why is that so important to God? Why is it that he included this command? Well, we already know one of the reasons is because men were created in the image of God. And when we're murdering the image of God, we are attacking not only that other human being, but we're attacking God himself. Man is the special creation of God. He created all the other creation by speaking a word. But when he created man... He took the dirt of the ground and he formed it with his own hands and God of his own breath breathed into him uh, the breath of life and he became a living soul. It was the special creation. It was the unique, the, the, the pre- preeminent creation of God in the creation of the world. And the divine stamp is on men. And even though men in their sinfulness have a marred image of God in them. It's not what it was at creation, not what it will be in glory. But nevertheless, each person, as damaged as they sometimes might be, are people in the image of God. And we dare not take that lightly. We dare not be negligent of that. The stamp of God is on that person. So what is forbidden in the commandment? Well, obviously, taking the life in whatever way we take it, Uh, whether it's an actual murder, whether it's, uh, of course, it's against abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, and the quality of life is not an issue. It's the fact that it's a life given by God. The uh, Shorter Catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism, a brief answer What is forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? The Sixth Commandment forbids the taking away of our own life or the life of our neighbor unjustly or whatsoever tendeth thereunto. Whatever tends to the taking of life is forbidden in this commandment. That Heidelberg Catechism, question 105, expands on that a little bit regarding gestures, words, thoughts, Uh, or anything that would kill our neighbor or anything that would expose ourselves uh, to danger. Uh, We break this command in uh, either in general in in words. Hutterberg Catechism question 106 relates that to that as well as in, so it's actual physical murder and it's words, emotions, or attitudes that might lead to that. We see that in all these different scriptures. Thomas Watson in his commentary on this gives a number of different ways we murder people, uh, especially indirectly, but he lists some of the things he lists with the hand, with the mind, with the tongue, with the pen, by not hindering the death of another when it's in our power to prevent it. Uh, by taking away that which is necessary for the support of life. That's where that pronouncement in Leviticus 19 is so important. Whatever takes away what would promote life in another is a violation of this commandment. We're to not take away their life and we're to do whatever we can to promote and encourage life. But Watson also goes on to have a section where he stresses It's important not only in our attitude toward other people, but it's important in the care of our own life. It's not just that we shouldn't violate the sixth commandment toward others, 
We shouldn't violate the sixth commandment toward ourselves. We shouldn't do those things that would take away our own life or think or say the things that would devalue our own life. Uh, it's, a person is not required to endure abuse, physical and even verbal and emotional abuse. It's not required of a woman that she remain in the home with an abusive husband. It's honoring the sixth commandment when she or anybody in the similar situation protects their life by getting out of that situation. That's part of obedience to the sixth command. We are not to take away life. We are not to take away our own life. Now, Watson talks about we may be guilty of self-murder, <clears throat> violating this command toward ourselves, he says, either indirectly or, uh, or directly. Indirectly, when a person places himself in danger unnecessarily, sometimes we have to put ourselves in danger to protect another. But if we put ourselves into danger that we, we shouldn't, not making light of this, but you see on Facebook sometimes different <clears throat> pictures of a man doing something stupid. And underneath it will be the caption, this is why men, women live longer than men. A lot of truth to that. Uh, a person may be guilty, Watson says, of his own death and neglecting to use the means of preserving life. If we're ill and there's a medicine that's appropriate that we could take to uh, take care of our, uh, our illness and we refuse to take it, we're violating the Sixth Commandment. None of us are going to like this section of it. It's, <clears throat> we may be guilty of self-murder by intemperance in excess or diet. Just to read you his thoughts. More perish by drink than by the sword. Many dig their grave with their teeth. Too much oil chokes the lamp. The cup kills more than the cannon. And excessive drinking causes untimely death. <clears throat> Certainly the care of ourselves is important. And we may be guilty, he says, of self-murder, obviously, by violence against ourselves. But another thing that he brings out, which is very true, he says, uh, envy. We are guilty of self-murder by envy. Envy is a, he calls it a fretting canker. It corrodes the heart, dries up the blood, rots the bones. And he quotes from Proverbs 14.30, envy is rottenness of the bones. <clears throat> it's when we have bad self-talk. It's when we uh, think ill of ourselves. It's wrong to think ill of others, <clears throat> but it's wrong to, to be self-condemning all the time. We need to cultivate, do that which uh, doesn't devalue the life of another, but we need to do that which doesn't devalue our own life. And the positive aspect, which I've woven through all of this, is <clears throat> we ought to do that which promotes life. The shorter catechism, what is required in the Sixth Commandment, <clears throat> the Sixth Commandment 
requireth all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. That question 107 of the Heidelberg Catechism talks about some of the things we should do to promote the life of our neighbor. Uh, Meekness, mercy, kindness, peace, patience. Uh, Not only don't hate your neighbor, but love them and forgive them. It's speaking against nursing or holding on to a grudge. Uh, Allowing the root of bitterness to grow up in us. We have to learn the role of proper forgiveness to those who have done us wrong. And there's much, much more that I can say and, and, and would like to say on that subject, but that's another time. <clears throat> but we need to learn what it means to forgive and not hold a grudge or bitterness toward those who have wronged us because that brings harm to us, not to them. We have to exercise patience and kindness and try to protect our neighbor from wrong, from harm. Do that which promotes and preserves life. So while there may be some exceptions, you and I are commanded and forbidden to take the life of another in, in the way we act or the way we think, the way we talk about them. And it applies to our own life How we act or think toward ourselves is significant. And anything that devalues our own life uh, is forbidden. And you and I are commanded to promote and protect the life of others. We are to do them well. We are not to do those things which uh, bring them down or harmful to them. And it includes the obvious act of bullying But what about unkind ridicule? What about harsh criticism? What about personal attacks? And the key question that is before us is are we doing something that builds them up or tears them down? And to bring all of this to a close, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, 29 through 32. Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Paul is going to give us here the statement of what grieves the Holy Spirit. And our charismatic friends are misguided in this. Grieving the Holy Spirit is not because we're failing to get one of those ecstatic gifts of the Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit is how we talk to one another. And let's back up and pick it up at verse 25. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. 
Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. That's a very descriptive phrase. It's the word for rotten fish. And so what Paul is literally saying is, let no words that smell like rotten fish come out of your mouth. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is obedience to the sixth commandment. May you and I guard life for the glory of God. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word that addresses us and gives us help in how we might live a life that honors you and is full of gratitude to you for your love and mercy. Help us to live in obedience to this command and um, not taking another's life, but instead protecting and building up another's life. And may we live that out in, in our lives that we would glorify you, our Father, who is in heaven. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.